0: hi everybody hi everybody Mm, still do it i still just hit it hi everybody and welcome hi everybody (laughs) (laughs) um hi everybody and welcome to ornate stairwells a movie podcast i'm autumn and i'm joined by neve
1: hi i'm neve we're also joined by lem again
0: i my favorite uh podcasting cat.
1: hmm <laughs> My second favorite. <laughs>
0: um so we watched um uh 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 Wings of Desire, the Vim Vendors film from some point in the eighties. I don't remember when, but um that's going to be immaterial for a bit because we have like eight thousand other movies we've watched to talk about. <laughs> because yeah. we have some fucking stairwells to rate.
1: <laughs> I, I I forgot about this. Um despite multiple times tweeting about it. <laughs> <laughs> so who who wants to get started?
0: I have two quick ones. Okay. So one is Mikey and Nikki that i i swear i've talked about this on a podcast and i can't imagine what other podcast it might have been but i i don't know i was looking at um i was looking at um my letterbox like, I- and i watched it after Mulholland drive but we didn't talk about it on the "I Carry You With Me" episode, so I don't know.
1: Maybe you just talked to me about it while you were here, because I remember you talking about it.
0: It's a it's a very good movie. It's um there is a repertory screenings episode about it that I would highly recommend. Like, um. There's a lot of movies that I would cover, um, that they have already covered. This might actually not be one because, like, I don't know that I have a ton to say about it other than it's a good movie and they hit on, like, all the, like, thoughts I was having. But I just wanted to touch on it because there is a very good stairwell scene, um, in the very beginning. Um, the, like, one of the very first scenes is, like, the two men walking down a whole bunch of stairs, um... And, like, kind of getting in a fight, and it's just good that the movie starts with them going downstairs, because the rest of the movie is about their lives just going to shit. <laughs> uh, I feel like I said that on a podcast before, but I looked at the spreadsheet and didn't see it, so I wanted to touch on it in case I yeah, hadn't.
1: We didn't put it in here. You may have just said it to me while you were here, and or something. Yeah. And then... Anyway. Have, like, forgotten.
0: Um, I'll have a little bit more to say about this one. Um, Batman 1989, the Tim Burton film. Um, Em and I watched or Em and I watched that and talked about it for Gotham City Limits. Um, we just recorded that episode earlier today. It'll be up the day before the stairwells is up. Um, but I didn't talk about the stairwell in that movie very much. Um, which I'm giving a C to this. Um, Yeah. because for people who are not familiar with the 1989, uh, Batman film one, how I don't understand. <laughs> and two, um, at the end of the movie, um, Batman and Joker have a fight in the, like, in a, like big church tower, several stories up. And, um, There's just, like, a a matte painting of, essentially, the stairwell from Vertigo in this movie. um, That Batman, like, throws dudes down um, and, like, murders them. Um, (laughs) uh, You also, of course, get, like, a a tense sequence of Batman and Joker, like, ascending the stairs as they get ready for the final showdown. Um, I'm giving this a C because one it's not very well utilized and two it's literally just the stairwell from vertigo it's literally just that tim burton says i really like vertigo we should put those stairs in this movie (laughs) um so uh yeah like tim burton gets a passing grade for this but not not much more so that's what i had
1: um, we have one that we, we watched together. Yes. Yes. Which is the only one that doesn't have a grade here yet. Cause we haven't talked about it, which was, so we watched while you were here after we recorded, we watched Noi Albanoi, um, which is by director Dairi Kauri. Um, it's like, if you go to my letterbox, it's one of my four favorite films and it's a film that has a lot of significance for me, like going to my childhood, I guess, or not childhood, but like teendom. It's very much a movie about being a teen who extremely wants to escape, uh, like the town that you live in, uh-huh. which despite the fact that the movie itself is not very gay, I think has like strong queer resonances. Yeah. I think a lot of queer people, I've talked to a lot of queer people who have watched this movie and been like, yes, this is, this was my experience of high school. Yes. <laughs> um, um
0: the movie's fucking incredible. I hadn't seen it. Um, And it really fucking blew me away when we watched it. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, But in terms of stairs, I'm trying to even remember. I think we get like a little bit of some stairs. Uh,
0: He walks down the stairs when um, the principal who looks like Werner Herzog is like getting ready to (laughs) like expel him from the school, I think.
1: I like how you just think that like all vaguely dramatic people look like we're in a no. It's the
0: it's the mustache specifically. It's the mustache and or the hair.
1: Yeah. Um. (laughs) I feel like we briefly get some stares in the like bookshop slash home that the the book person. Yes, definitely. Yeah the the like father of the main love interest. Um. I feel like we would talk more about this movie, except I'm probably going to bring it at some point. Yeah. Um. The one other thing I, I... The thought I had was... I don't know if it counts, but, like, I, I think there's, like, a little bit of a ladder that goes down into the hiding hole, where Noi, like, mm-hmm. goes and, and you know, sits in, like, by candlelight or lamplight or whatever and just, like, reads books or whatever to, like, be alone. Um. And if that's the case like when he goes down in there yeah the final time like that's
0: the good shit
1: yeah don't want to I don't want to spoil the movie but like that's when the tragedy mm-hmm. <laughs> he fully confronts the tragedy mm-hmm. so um yeah I don't know what rating necessarily to do I don't know if we're even counting that as the stairs
0: um I think, hmm, I don't know. We definitely talked about this during the movie, and I don't, I remember, I remember us settling on something, but it wasn't that. It might have been, like, the love interest character, like, sitting on the stairs at some point, waiting for him. Oh, I cannot remember. Yeah,
1: maybe. I don't know. Um... Do do we want to it has in characteristic of the character Noi. Has this movie asked for an extension?
0: This movie has asked for an extension. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna put in uh asked for an extension. <laughs> yes. Perfect. I like how long we talked about stairwells in here that then not rated. Um and then in addition to that I watched Four or three other movies. Um, I almost watched Batman, but I've just been very busy. So was not able to write in in time. Um, I watched two Star Wars movies. So we watched Rogue One and Star Wars, our continuation of um, like going through it in-universe chronology just to experience it that way just just to be clear for the
0: listeners when you say we that's you and your wife not you and me yeah i'm not watching star wars movies (laughs) with you i already have a wife to watch star wars movies with
1: yeah um i am watching with my wife star Wars. i like how we both have wives who want to watch star wars movies
0: (laughs) it's great Um, i love star wars i love my wife
1: i do yeah i do too um I wanted to like talk a little bit about a couple of things with these movies beyond just the stairwells. Um, one is, so last time I talked about Solo, a Star Wars story, and then we watched Rogue One and like Rogue One is just a far better movie. Oh, I absolutely. think Um it's a lot more enjoyable overall. And um yeah, but so I was trying to think of like, How do I, like, describe the difference that I feel between these two as, like, weird side stories? And I think it's that, like, Solo, a Star Wars story, feels like fan fiction in both good and bad ways. Um, Like, the parts about Solo that are fun are the parts that give me fun about fan fiction. And then the parts about it that are bad are the parts where it just feels like... Like, they're, they're trying to tie this little side story way too much into the overarching plot of Star Wars in ways that you, like, don't necessarily need Han Solo to be. Right. Like, Han Solo doesn't need to be connected to all of this stuff, and you don't need to, like, explain every little bit of lore about Han Solo. Um, Like, having Han Solo do the Kessel Run is like, okay, yeah, but we don't need to explain every piece of, like, his history here. <laughs> we just don't. Um And Rogue One, to me, feels like a tabletop RPG campaign that some people were playing in the Star Wars world, where it's like, oh yeah, we're just a ragtag band of of people, and, like, our one thing is that we're going to get the Death Star, um like plans and deliver those that is then what you know Leia passes on and it's like the whole thing of the first star wars movie um and like really that's the only thing that gets like explained in the original movies you know mm-hmm. like it, it's not really invested in trying to explain much else it's literally just like oh let's just explain who got the the star wars pl- like the plans for the death star that is like the piece that a lot of star Wars itself hinges on. And also in the process kind of explain why the death star has this like crucial flaw built into it. (laughs) Right. Um,
0: And it's because Hannibal is a good guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But for the most part, a lot of the movie is, is just fun because it's like, The other part that feels very tabletop RPG is that, like, the cast is just more, like, in a representational sense that I don't fully care about, but is still kind of nice to see. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, more diverse than any other Star Wars thing. Yes.
0: And, like, (laughs) Um, more diverse and also just, like, those characters feel, like, realized and it's, like, partially it comes through a lot i think through acting as much as anything like cassian andor is like one of my favorite characters in star wars and it's yeah. not necessarily because it's of how he's written but because of how he's played um mm-hmm. to the point where like there is a cassian andor tv show coming and i don't want to watch it because like getting more of him isn't going to it might like ruin the magic of rogue one a little bit i think for me yeah um yeah
1: yeah but yeah i mean it's like i think it is just enjoyable for the the ways that to me it just feels like it is, like, what was fun about Star Wars for me as a kid, which is just imagining yourself into in this world, where it just, like, it really just feels like a bunch of people just, like, making up fun characters and, like, doing a story with them and just, like, tying it in a little bit to, like, oh, we're part of the main plot, but, like, not really. We, we just get forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, m- much better. Um, and then I watched, I watched, watched the McClunky edit of Star Wars. You're just <laughs> watching it on Disney+. Plus. Thank you for the specificity
0: um, here. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I actually did just grow up with the original theatrical version because I watched it before the like anniversary remasters, um, that then like hit theaters and, uh, but then I also watched those remasters because I had the VHS of those as well, um, I'm like actually those are the VHSs that I think I still have cuz I think the other ones just like wore out, which honestly the remastered ones I have are also wearing out. I've like watched one of them recently, uh, like a year or two ago, um and and it was there were some tracking issues. <laughs> um and Star Wars is just a good fucking movie. It's just a fucking... I feel like i like This is the one that's most likely we might end up doing at some point on Ornate stairwells, just because it's a really good fucking movie. Um, And it's really fun just, like, watching a Star Wars movie where, like, nobody knows what this is going to be. Um, It's just people making... Like, it... In a way that I think a lot of people forget, it is just, like, a 70s sci-fi movie. Um, The special effects are beyond what a lot of like this kind of like genre and tier of sci-fi like so uh alex of swim fans did not watch star wars at all as a kid and watched it like literally as a i've graduated from like college Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm finally watching star wars um And did not get it, and also did not get why people love the special effects so much, because, uh, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey exists, and I'm just like, but 2001 A Space Odyssey was such a different tier of sci-fi than what Star Wars was, and that's, like, why Star Wars was so big, because this was just, like... Like it's called Star Wars, which is kind of a stupid name, I, <laughs> if you really think about it. It's, it's <laughs> like so... this is like B movie, basically. Yeah. That just got really fucking big, um, in a way that's like super endearing to me about it.
0: I, I I've heard that from someone else in my life before. Like, oh well, like 2001 looks better than this. Um, and I I it's like yeah,
1: it's Stanley Kubrick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I re- I. There was an episode of Just King Things that I don't remember what the context of this is, but they're like talking about um you know um for people who aren't familiar with the Just King Things bonus episodes, um Cameron will watch the um like directors' commentaries and stuff on all the movies and like, you know, bring whatever insight those directors had about the movies that they're doing and one of the directors for one of these Stephen King adaptations was complaining about, like, his movie got compared to Stanley Kubrick, and he's like, Stanley Kubrick can just throw money at any problem he has. Like, he just has an infinite stockpile of, like, like, we have to make these movies for fucking cheap, you know? (laughs) Because most of these movies are fucking Dino De Laurentiis movies, you know? (laughs) Um, And Star Wars is, like, as cheap or cheaper than, like, any Dino De Laurentiis movie, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, and then Star Wars, like, gets big and gets bigger budgets, but this first movie just has all that charm of, like... It It just, like, has a certain level of camp that I think often gets, like, forgotten with how much, like, certain aspects of the fandom, um, like, elevate and uh i'm trying to think of like the best word here but they like they like hold it up as something that i think george lucas himself does not see it as like famously like george lucas does not even call them lightsabers <laughs> um <laughs> and like st- the original star wars i think is so great because it's the one that is like the most obvious on its surface just like oh they were just making a, a like sci-fi b-movie and it was fucking great Mm -hmm. and there's like a reason why it spawned a franchise because it's fucking great but also like it just is what it is and it's more enjoyable for me if i just like go into it that way um which also like i think a lot of the remaster stuff that happened is dumb i will always fucking laugh really hard when uh han solo literally gets like shifted to do the tail, and it's just, like, so bad it's so going funny. over Jabba. So the scene funny. that just didn't even <laughs> exist. Um, I love watching the, like, original version uh, of the cutscene, where it's just, <laughs> Jabba's just a dude and a vest so It's fucking incredible. It's so good. Um, <laughs> But, like, all of the remaster stuff that's happened to it is just, like, so stupid, but also this movie is just can't be in fun in a way where, like... I don't hate it when Greedo says McClunky because I'm like, <laughs> it's still fitting in with like the weird B, like B- movie joy that I get out of this. In like, I'm saying this with like full love and like it is what I love about this movie. McClunky
0: so. is maybe my favorite addition to um, uh, Star Wars because um, <laughs> it's so needless and it really it feels really like George just like. How can I just, like, annoy Disney? I know. i don't make him say McClunky and generate some <laughs> oh. weird discourse.
1: <laughs> it's also just weird because, they, like, it almost feels like George Lucas is clouding on the fact that people complained so much about how he changed the you know, Han shot first part by just having Greedo say <laughs> McClunky. Like, it also feels like it's like clouding on the people who got like so upset about Han shot first of just like, yeah, and I'm going to have Greedo say McClunkey. <laughs> talk about this. Try <laughs> and figure out what I'm doing here. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I will give the the stairwell ratings here. So for Rogue One, um, Emily and I talked about both of these movies. Um, Emily at first asked if the ramps going up onto the Millennium Falcon Or like other ships Counted as stairs um, And I, I wasn't po- Like I wonder if you have An opinion here as well I kind of felt like no But also the part about it Is that it The ramps into the ship Almost become the opposite Of how we talk about stairs Which is that Usually going down the ramp Is like heading into The tragedy that's about to happen And then it pops <laughs> off And then you're running up <laughs> Then you're running up the <laughs> ramp To try and get the fuck out of there <laughs> um i might
0: i might count the ramp i might count the ramp
1: okay um so for the the grades that we put in here we were not counting the ramp and um So for Rogue One, Emily and I decided that the stairwell scene is actually the, there's like a server bank basically where they're trying to get the plans out of. um, And they end up like climbing in the server bank. Um, And it became, it becomes like a, like they cut away from them and then back to it. There's like, you know, extended scene that's happening of them like climbing. Server banks, the best way I can describe it. Um, And because they're climbing, it felt kind of like that can maybe be like the stairwell scene in this movie because also it's like them going up to like try and get it and then basically like minor spoilers for or i guess kind of big spoilers for rogue one like a bunch of people start dying after this point mm-hmm. <laughs> so and it, it starts with one of the characters literally falling to his death in that like server bank um and so like that kind of feels like it is, like, the fulcrum point of, like, heading into the full tragedy of the movie. <laughs> um, and so I gave it a C. Emily said it is not a stairwell, and it's an F. <laughs> <laughs> um, then for Star Wars, uh, so Star Wars in general doesn't have a lot of stairs, and often it's, like, very short. Like, they just have, like, slightly different levels, in the, like, plane, and then someone will be, like, literally going down, like, three or four steps. It happens frequently in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't feel like stairwells. It's kind of just, like, they're trying to interestingly break up the space um, in, like, the sets that they're building. Right. And despite the fact that, like, on Tatooine, like, Luke's home has lots of stairs that go deep underground, you never really see him, like, no. going up or down them. Um like, there's, like, the the most is, like, maybe when he, like, goes up. But you don't you don't really see him leaving it. He's just, like, coming out of the hole. But it's coming up, uh, like, set of stairs as well. When he then goes and looks at the, like, twin sunset. Um, and, like, reflects on his life or whatever. But we were, like, this doesn't, like, really feel like it. Um, the other big set of stairs that comes is... There's the set of stairs at the very end during the medal ceremony. So this is the one that I ended up rating. Um, Emily said F because there just weren't any good stairs Mm -hmm. and she didn't think that was a good stairwell scene i gave it a d because there were like it was at least like them going upstairs to some degree and like the stairs are like prominently um framed in those shots of the the metal ceremony however i felt like i couldn't do anything beyond d one because it's like not really tying into how we talk about stairs Mm -hmm. And also because it is visually referencing Triumph of the Will. (laughs) And I just.
0: (laughs) I was about to say if you didn't, I was like, uh, I'm going to go with D minus because it's the Lenny Reefinstall scene.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I might actually do. I'm going to do a D (laughs) minus.
0: Like, Um, okay, you did turn in an assignment, but. (laughs) mm. (laughs) You did do it in the Triumph of the Will scene.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um. The last movie I watched is a Brighter summer summer day which we're going to talk about on Ghost Divers. I'm recording that episode tomorrow. I'm going to let Connor lead it so I have no idea what he wants to talk about with this movie, but it is um a really fucking beautiful movie. Literally every like it's one of those movies where just every shot is incredible. Um the pans in this movie are exceptional. The way that stuff is just staged, like this is a movie that's really heavily doing like I'm going to have the camera sitting here and we're going to see like a bunch of people in the frame and I'm going to have people moving around and stopping in ways where like it's creating new compositions and is like suggesting other things about what's happening. Uh, It's just an absolutely incredible movie. I I feel like we would have a ton of fun watching this. Um, It is four hours long. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it was not a breezy four hours, but I think like to some degree the, um, like, space of this movie is important. Like, the the treating these kids in these straight gangs and their, like, lives as an epic and as, like, a crime epic that would be on par with, like, The Godfather or something. Like, I, I think there's, like, a certain amount of referencing of something like The Godfather in this movie. Um But having it literally just be about, like, kids who are lost in, like... 60s i think was the time period but like 60s taiwan and like in street gangs because it's the only thing that gives them like any sense of identity um just incredible and so like i think in the way that we talked a lot during i definitely still think like i like rebels of the neon god more um but i think like Rebels in the Neon God was doing things with, like, literal physical space that this movie, I think, is trying to do with time to, like, mm-hmm. give you the sense of, like, dissociation and displacement. Um, and there are a lot of stairwells. Um, the There are a few that I want to, like, quick call out. Um, one is there's a shot of... So part of the movie is, like, this romance between... Oh, this boy and girl, and there's a scene where they're standing on the stairs, but it just pans and it's just their feet, um, like on the stairwell. Um, and it's just an incredible shot. I I really like it and it just like conveys something about these characters when you see it, um, that's like hard to put into words. So, um a great shot there. There's also one where the girl in this romance is walking with her mother, um And crosses paths with, like, one of these street gangs. And it's just, like, the mother's just... Or the the girl's just walking home from the store with her mother. The street gang is, like, literally about to go do some shit. And they kind of just, like, cross paths. And we start on, like, the, the girl and her mother. And they're talking. And then as they walk, like, the the boys are then more in front of us and like the, they kind of disappear behind them. And so we can't see them. Uh, like the, the girl and the mother and the boys are talking about like the shit that they're getting up to. And then they leave the scene to like, go do that shit. And as they leave, we see the mother and, and her daughter walking up a set of stairs. Um, and it's just like, uh, that staging was just absolutely fucking incredible. Um, and then I think the biggest one for me is it's not my favorite visually, but there's a part where it is, again, the the boy and the girl, and they're, like, walking down the stairs in this, like, basically ice cream parlor social place um, that is, like, one of the um, buildings associated with one of these gangs. And they go and sit at a table and, like, touch each other's hands and are talking and it's like the last time in the movie that I can remember where they just like seem to actually just be like happy and enjoying each other's company Mm. and like Another character is about to enter the story who is going to set it off into a completely different direction of like absolute tragedy, and so it really is the stairwell scene of them just like walking down the stairs to the movie's about to turn into like pure tragedy, and this is like the last time that they have like just any like uncomplicated happiness with each other um so I gave this movie an a minus I'm almost considering an a for the stairwell, oh yeah, um. <laughs> I might do. I think I'm just gonna do an A. It was fucking incredible. Um, this movie's great. I yeah, I would highly recommend this. <laughs> um, so those are some stairwells. How long did it take us star- to thirty minutes? Thirty minutes. Okay, that's not that bad.
0: Um, I have a quick question for you, and then I'm gonna take some Excedrin. You had
1: your shit sock from the back. <laughs> You had (laughs) that?
0: I have a quick question, and then I'm going to take some Excedrin to get a little caffeine, and then we will get into Wings of Desire. Um, Okay. On an episode of Export that we recorded that is not out yet, um, I said to Nora um, that... Jaws is absolutely one hundred percent a better movie than Star Wars, and she said I was out of my damned mind. Where do you fall, Jaws? Jaws or Star Wars?
1: Um, ooh, this is this is tough. I think just like as a pure cinematic experience, like as a movie, Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, but. As something that extends beyond the limits of cinema, mm-hmm. Star Wars.
0: That's fair. That's all I asked for.
1: Like, yeah, but as just like, let's sit down and watch a movie, Jaws. Yeah,
0: it's fucking Jaws. Um, it's great. It's classic.
1: <laughs> Not that Star gonna, Wars isn't
0: those things, but you know,
1: I'm I'm gonna send you something. It might take me a little bit to to look it up. So, um. If you want to go get your Excedrin yeah. while I look this up.
0: I will be back in just a second. If I can mute my mic. This
1: is where it started.
0: The trucks, the trees, and the six barrels. Now baby's gonna look back. Crazy. Yeah, i still got the ones you get. We've been treading some months in the ground. And baby, let's
1: tie to the ground. the pipe.
0: Hello. Hello. I've definitely seen this video of Steven Spielberg watching the Oscars in 76 before.
1: Did I send it to you? or It's possible.
0: I remember seeing it like years ago. But it's definitely so,
1: possible. I digitized and edited this video.
0: Then most likely it was you.
1: Um, do you want to watch this on... On mic or
0: I just hit play on it so
1: <laughs> oh okay I feel like are you still in an ad or
0: no because I have I have YouTube
1: uh... oh, okay uh... that's right
0: uh... what was I gonna say the thing that in my head I found this video because of important if true uh, or idle thumbs did you ever like send this to them? <laughs>
1: I may have uh, It seems like something I would send to them.
0: Yeah It's definitely possible that it was you I just associate it for some reason in my head With um
1: uh, My favorite part is just The end of it Um The line I just always think of is Who directed it? The Shock? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am on doubt of Google for some
1: Oh time. man, we should watch Barry Lyndon.
0: We should watch Barry Lyndon. I've never seen it. God, Dark Day Afternoon came out the same year. <laughs> oh,
1: who made it the shark? <laughs>
0: I also really like Spielberg getting upset. I got beat by Fellini. Yeah, no shit, dude.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Of course you got beat by Fellini.
0: What was the Fellini (laughs) movie that year? I think it was Eight and a Half, wasn't it?
1: Um.
0: No, Eight and a Half was a decade prior. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um. Um. Federico Fellini. 1970. I don't even know what year cuz Jaws came out in 75. It would either be Amarcord or Casanova. I have no idea.
1: Oh, probably Amarcord.
0: Yeah. Uh I haven't seen that one, but uh people like it <laughs> a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's Fellini.
0: <laughs> um Should we talk about Anyway. Uh uh the skies over berlin
1: yeah the hemo über berlin um
0: hi we're back probably leaving some of that in i don't know um i can't focus um
1: do you need me to take over the podcast yeah
0: you you host i'm going to be able to respond and stuff but i can't i can't lead apparently i'm like okay. yeah
1: <laughs> so we watched uh, the wings of desire or der Himmel über berlin which means like the heaven or sky over berlin um by vim vendors and this, this is a like this is a hard to summarize movie i think it's both very
0: um, hard and very easy um
1: yeah <laughs> it's I, I think though, like, we just do the short thing, which is, for the most part, it's about the... So the main character is played by Bruno Gantz, who is in an angel, um, and then I think the other main angel uh, is... Otto Sander. Yeah, Otto Sander. Um, and they are... These two angels who are, like... Basically, they observe humanity and, uh, like, record and report the thoughts of humans, essentially. Um, There's something in particular, I think, that's, like, pushing towards, like, it's, like, the spiritual thoughts of people that they're specifically Mm -hmm. concerned about. Um, And so, like, all of the thoughts that we hear in this are just, like, far more poetic than my regular thoughts probably are. And I think some of it is just them trying to figure out how do you represent, like the way that thoughts are very like jumbled and flit around in a way that's like not necessarily direct linguistic, just like words. Um, and so they like do it towards this like poetic bend, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. So they're, they're basically just observing and like much of this film is just like Bruno Gantz, like going into various spaces and like, Very softly touching people and while they're like having thoughts about childhood or like what's currently happening or whatever. Um, but in the process, he ends up seeing this uh lonely trapeze artist who's played by Solveig Domartin. I'm I can say the German names pretty well, not the the French names here, so (laughs) um, I think. I think her name, I think Del Martín is probably Mm -hmm. French. And basically falls in love with her or also kind of wants to be her Mm -hmm. in a way that um, I'm sure we'll have no thoughts on. None. And then uh, a key thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that most of this film was in black and white, but there are... Often I think when it's from the perspective of humans, it's in color, um, and I think sometimes this intentionally gets muddled around the character that is being played by Bruno Gantz, because basically at a certain point he decides, um, I want to be mortal, I want to experience like human sensory pleasures. Um, and some of it being like, so I can discover what human love is with this trapeze artist. Uh, but also just like, I want to drink coffee and mm-hmm. taste coffee, um, coffee, all of that. Yes. Um, and also, uh, Columbo is here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can I read you a little bit of a uh, trivia on the Wikipedia page that I am just enamored with? sure peter falk's role was not planned until photography had already begun with vendors planning an artist or political official to have an analogous role until claire denis uh suggested that the colombo star would be more would be familiar to everyone uh falk described the part as quote the craziest thing that i've ever been offered but quickly agreed (laughs) he was accustomed (laughs) to the improvisation the newly created role required and uh when Vendors and Falk met, they conceived the ideas of the character uh sketching and searching for a hat. <laughs> yeah. So essentially Pierre Falk, like both in fiction and in in production, like wanders into this movie and kind of like derails it in like the most beautiful and perfect way. It's like one of my mm-hmm. favorite like performances in any movie. <laughs>
1: every scene with Peter Falk is just like particularly hilarious and endearing Um, yeah it's just a truly great part of Lem what the fuck are you doing (laughs) (laughs) last time I let Lem in here he just napped in the corner for most of it and now he's just being a menace anyway um, but yeah it's kind of revealed towards the end that uh, Peter Falk the the actor in our real world was an angel as well
0: I am electing to believe that this is true (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is canon to reality. Yes,
0: <laughs> I'm electing to believe um, that uh, that Wings of Desire is a like, non-fiction, just like documentary, just somebody pointed a camera at real events that were occurring. Um, it has to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think it's... I'm looking at the Wikipedia article as I'm doing the summary right now, just to like make sure I'm getting names and things. Um... This line also just stands out to me of the film was a critical and financial success and academics have interpreted it as a statement of the importance of cinema, libraries, the circus, or German unity containing new age, religious, secular, or other themes.
0: Why are all academics stupid as shit? <laughs>
1: um, anyway, yeah, that's basically the plot um it's two and a half hours of that but in a really good way it's
0: it's one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen in my life um it is impossible to talk about because it is largely about um people in crowds uh there's so many there are so many scenes of like crowds of people where you just hear like like 40 different tracks of like voiceover and like one just like slowly rises to prominence and it's just like somebody like the leaves the the green grass i felt the green grass beneath my toes when i was a kid when i was a kid i missed my father you know like just this sort of like free association like poetry stuff um And then you just, like, you drift away from that person and into the next person, and you're just, like, getting, like, the lives of all these people, and it's just, like, it's just beautiful, (laughs) and, like, it's just amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um There are a lot of academic articles about this, and many of them, like, (laughs) I don't even know how entertaining some of these will be. Um, I mean, there's, like, one that's talking about, uh, how this film intersects with, uh, 19, or, yeah, 1903 Harvard lectures by Pierce about phenomenology and the importance of experience. And terms of understanding semiotics phenomenology and pragmatism because i guess this is a movie about angels wanting to experience things (laughs) as humans um there is another one here called the ethics of teaching critical feminisms on the wings of desire um this one i don't even know if it is fully about the movie i'm kind of confused by it but um definitely says wings of desire i don't know (laughs) um yeah there's just a bunch on this and a lot of it seems to be very like hey this movie like briefly talks about this thing i'm going to write an entire essay about this thing i want to talk about and then talk about this movie yeah in regards to it yeah <laughs>
0: this is this is a movie in a, in a way that like a lot of my favorite movies um do like sort of expresses like the people making it are expressing a like fixation or a preoccupation or an interest in a subject. But I don't think this movie is like about something and it's, there's not a message to the movie. It is just like, um, like there is so, there's so much imagery and preoccupation with like, what is it like to, live in berlin um after world war Two, like that is like what the movie is about yeah. but it's not saying like ah uh, the the i don't think it's even like saying that the wall is bad i'm just saying it just is like here here are the facts of life and we're going to like portray them and poeticize them and like you know you the viewer um like can draw your own conclusions you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a, like I don't have anything to quote on this, but I remember at least, and I'm I'm sure this is like I remember reading at some point a thing about like the making of this movie and that part of the the genesis for it was um, just Vim Vendor's... and I think there was like someone else who he wrote it with. I think uh, Peter Hanke was the yes. other one, Um Where they were just like talking to each other about like the way that there are all these depictions, like there's these statues and like graffiti and things of art, um, around the Berlin wall. Mm-hmm. And just like the, that as an interesting image that they wanted to like explore to some extent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, this, like when I watch this movie and I don't actually know, um, like what my my like opa's opinion of this movie would be um and also it is like at this point he was living in the united states like he moved back not too long after the war um after basically like was living in the u.s his visa expired and got sent back the year before world war Two happened and then got enlisted and um, like tried to say, I don't want to fight. I'm like a conscientious objector. Like I have, you know, friends and family in America and like, I don't really believe in this war. And they said, we'll send you to Russia then, um, if you have friends in America. Um, and then after the war ended up moving back to the U S when he was able to, Hmm. um, and for most of his life, he only ever read nonfiction. Um, And I think in some ways, because he was like very preoccupied and obsessed with like figuring out and like understanding for himself what happened and also to what degree, even as like an unwilling participant of the Nazi army, does he still like carry some of the guilt Mm -hmm. as someone who still like got enlisted and fought in Russia um, and like, you know, was not involved with the worst atrocities of the nazi army but was still like a soldier mm-hmm. what, what is what is his level of guilt there um and i this is the thing that like even when i would talk to him very late in his life i think he w- he was deeply deeply preoccupied with um and because of that he mostly only ever read nonfiction, and he read a lot of stuff that was about like different perspectives on wars and everything um And he once told me that the only fiction book about World War II that he ever thought was actually real and true to what it was like to live in, like, Germany during the war was the Danzig Trilogy by Gunter Grass, which is notably a magical realist text. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first, like, the main book of it that most people know is The Tin Drum, which is about a... Uh, little kid who refuses to grow up, and so continues to be a small child even as he ages, um, and a lot of other like w- things that are moving around with that. That like touch on other aspects of like this magical realist understanding of what was happening in Germany at the mm-hmm. time. Um, like a big image that like continues to return to me is there's a an entire chapter about this uh like basically cabaret but what people do is they go and uh there's a part at during the night where like you know the night is basically coming to a climax and all of the servers bring out to everybody a cutting board with a knife and an onion and then everyone cuts onions and then cries because they're cutting onions Um, But it is, like, this, like, going to the onion cellar being this representation of, like, finding the thing that will let you cry about this, like, a greater tragedy that you, like, can't even deal with. Um, And so for him, he was, like, this is, like, the only thing that, like, actually speaks to me about what it meant to, like, feel stuck in Germany at the time Mm -hmm. during this war and having to, like, survive and that survival, like tying him up in the horrible things that were happening to some degree um when i feel like wings of desire is another is a thing that is like similarly doing this sort of like magical realist or like abstract or um like is trying to portray the reality of what it meant to live in berlin like shortly before the wall fell mm-hmm. and having to, like, move into the realm of unreality to, like, actually talk honestly about it in some way or, like, get at it in some way. Yeah. <laughs> and so I watched this movie and I'm, like, I feel like I, I like, am getting some greater understanding of this than, like, a straight fiction film would be able to give me. Um, mm-hmm. And yet I don't know if, like, writing an academic article is going to give me something that the movie didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right?
0: And, like... <sighs>
1: The movie is hard
0: to talk about also because like because so so much stuff in the movie because of the way that it is the ways that it is like playing with like (laughs) the ways in which it is like playing with like what is real and what is not Um, you know we talked about like peter falk appears as himself and like literally almost every character in the movie at some point is like hey lieutenant columbo <laughs> um <laughs> yeah um he
1: there's a great scene of just teams being teens being like is that columbo <laughs> no why would he be here? like that's not columbo <laughs> um,
0: and that's like one thing another thing is that like um there is a character that um uh, a like really really old guy um, who is like a poet um, that Otto Sanders character is following around um, and listening to his thoughts and like he's very concerned with like you know I'm I'm don't have that much longer and um, like I remember the war I remember what Germany was like before the war he might be old enough to remember what uh germany was like before the, the like the other war you know yeah um and like uh, he has this sort of like he he's thinking a lot about like how does he make sure that like people do not um forget what um what happened and like carry it with them and you know all uh, it's interesting because I think probably, like, you know, taking a quick look at the actor's, like, um, Wikipedia page, like, that's probably something that an actor was thinking about as a, you know, German person who was over 80 years old at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, um I think it's something that Vendors is thinking about with, like, how do I make sure, like, you know, if the Soviet Union falls that, like, there is some sort of like document of what Berlin was like um, during this sort of like division of Germany. Um, like I, th- yeah, I think the movie is very much about like memory and all these things. And like, you can't, Capture <laughs> that in an academic article <laughs> yeah um,
1: like like one thing dude that like really stood out to me when we were watching is there are parts where it especially happens when um i think like Otto Zonda's character is riding in a car mm-hmm. um and so again like when it's often from the angel's perspective, it is in black and white. And when it's like a human perspective or these moments where like Bruno Gantz's character is like glimpsing human experience. Um, And then, you know, once it becomes a human as well, that's like when it becomes color. Uh, But there's a part where Otto Zander is like in the car and it's black and white. And it's like, this is, you know, at the time, modern brilliant, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the, 1987 when this film was made (laughs) Um, and then they like cut into what seems to be footage like historical footage during the war um, that is like clearly older footage that is also in black and white because it is older footage Mm -hmm. Um, and it is like is this the angel having this like immortality being like there are often conversations that that Bruno and Otto will have uh, like their angel characters about like there used to be like water here. And then like there was land and like grass grew and then like these things were built and now there's like this road that was built here. And now this road has been like, flattened down, like, the old roads of Rome by the tanks and is, like, sunken into the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're, like, talking about how, like, that space has, like, changed over eons. And then we're also getting, like, these visions of how this these spaces, like, a thing that my Oma in particular would talk about, um, because a lot of her experience of the war was being in the city of Berlin and not, you know, like, my Opa spent some of it, in Russia um, but was like just the experience of waking up and not knowing if like your school is going to be gone or like the church is just going to be gone or the building next door like it's just going to be like rubble now like the the city that you live in is just like gradually but not that gradually like overnight will like, Oh, that building is just decayed. Now that building has just been bombed and it's just gone. Um, and that is like an experience of war that I, I grew up hearing a lot about that. I think like a lot of Americans, even if they had family that like served in war, don't have as much of like an immediate sense of like, what does it mean for your, like the home, like the, the town that you live in, possibly even your house could just be gone like the next day <laughs> could be gone overnight like um you know my oma for a while was in a boarding school um like you know slight like intense thing <laughs> the so they were dropping what they called bomb, like christmas trees which are were bombs that just like light up the area they don't cause damage like they kind of explode in the air and it will light up an area mm-hmm. and so most of the boarding school like went to the windows to watch the lights because they thought that they were pretty mm-hmm. and my mom and her or my uh oma and her friend were afraid and so they hid in the basement and then um likely English planes dropped a bomb right on the boarding school. And like, she had to crawl out through the corpses of her classmates and teachers mm-hmm. to like survive. Um, and so like, this is just like what I grew up with <laughs> hearing stories of like, this is what war is. Um, I'll let Lem out. Cause he's being a jerk. Um, but like, and so there are these scenes that happen here of like buildings in decay. And it, I think it's even like, there's a part where Peter Falk, goes to um this like station that is just like still somewhat in ruins mm-hmm. and like looks at it um and so like Berlin still has like that written over it, and I think there's like another thing that this this film is thinking about is like here's the present moment of a di- divided Berlin with the Berlin wall also like the war is still written on this place in a way that like you can't escape mm-hmm. and that is like constantly part of of people's minds um yeah i i really enjoyed a lot of the like i don't even know if enjoyed is the right aspect but or like word for this but like those aspects of this movie of just um like my family is from berlin mm-hmm. like this this is where my oma and opa lived mm-hmm. so um there, There is something, like, meaningful to me in seeing this movie as a thing that is, like, now also a historical document about, uh, you know, I went to Berlin to, like, go see where my um, grandfather used to live, which is Berlin Alexanderplatz, <laughs> which maybe at some point we'll watch one of those movies. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, and it, it was just, like, going... Like, I went to see and the last time that i talked to my opa about it he said the last time he went it was a printmaker shop the like apartment where i used to live mm-hmm. and i went and it was now a primark which is just like a, it's kind of like an h&m okay in europe um it's like a like kind of fast fashion um notably like they don't like really do zippers or anything either it's like all buttons but um and it was a Sunday, so I couldn't even go, like, in in Germany on Sundays, like, basically, literally all businesses are closed. Um, there's, like, very few businesses that are open on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't even go into the Primark that, where my, <laughs> my grandpa used to live um, because it was closed. Um, but and like that Berlin that I went to is different than the one that's in this film. That is different than the one that my, mm-hmm. my grandpa grew up in. Um, and that's, I keep like mixing between like German and English pronunciations because, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, anyway,
0: I, while you were talking, it made me think about just like, um, so there are a couple sequences in this movie. There's one big sequence, and then a couple short scenes. Um, where um there are like you see libraries you see these like huge libraries um and like there's just like a dozen angels there's like a a lot of angels in a way that like know that they are not there in any other part of the movie and i was like thinking about them i'm like why are all these angels like hanging out here all the time like this is a city um as portrayed in the movie there's like constantly teeming with life and like their whole thing is like to observe life and like report on it you know yeah and i was thinking about that and i was also thinking about like the two angels that we do see like wandering um the streets of berlin and one of them um becomes, like, you know, so fixated with the humans that he just wants to become one of them, and he does. Um, The other, like, Otto Sanders' character, I think was just, like, quietly, and I didn't think about this until now, but, like, I just feel utterly fascinated by his character, because, like, one of the scenes that he gets, um, like, Bruno Gantz is, like, not very talkative for a great deal of this movie. Otto Sanders' character is, like, even less talkative. Um, so you got, there are these scenes of him um, following a young man around as that man contemplated suicide and uh, ultimately commits it. Um, and like, the the impression that Otto Saunders' character gives off is that he is like, he is detached. He is what the like observer is supposed to be. He's just here to you know observe and not um be involved and not care and not be attached and then he sees this young man commit suicide and like is very like profoundly hurt by it um and so i guess i was thinking about this because it's like yeah i guess if you're like <laughs> if i guess if you're stuck as an immortal and you like are you are capable of feeling hurt by these things um, and not capable of doing anything about it. If you were an angel living in Germany <laughs> through everything that had happened in the last couple of decades, like, yeah, maybe you just hang out at the library all day because you need something that is safe and, like, people are not, like, in danger. <laughs> um, And, like, it sort of, like, makes the movie it crystallizes the thing that, like, we've been talking about for me, I guess, which is just that, like, um, the movie is so much about remembering all these painful things, but the act of remembering these painful things is also painful, you know? Um, and, like, Bruno Ganz's character is the one character who is, like, trying to get, who is trying both to remember these things and also not be weighed down by them at all hours of every day. Um it's a good fucking movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. There's there's a certain like duality between the two of mm-hmm. them where um in some way like Bruno Gantz is choosing that he, someday he will die. Mm-hmm. In a way that uh, like Otto Zanda never does. Mm-hmm. He and yet he is the one who's like seems more preoccupied with that aspect of mortality, and also like in addition to witnessing the boy's suicide, then also um like in his own way tries to like experience it, but still as an angel where it like obviously like he he falls but doesn't he's an angel he's mm-hmm. just like continues to walk around yeah. after that um, but there's a part where he like mimics it in some way um and it's definitely the the i think the more like strongly detached one mm-hmm. um like the scene towards the end where bruno gans is at the con- uh, concert and is about to go meet with Solveig Domartin, the trapeze artist, um, and they're, like, watching Nick Cave play. Mm -hmm. Um, He's, like, standing there and just, like, seeming very sad at the, like... We've all seen this sad person at a concert I've been this sad person at a concert so many times. (laughs) Um, And then, like, turns and, like, literally, like seems to be sobbing into the wall for a second before it, like it cuts away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it is like another just fascinating part of the, this movie to me, um, this like tension between like life. And then also like, is the, the pleasures and experience of life possible because also life is like a finite thing Mm -hmm. like that mortality this this film is kind of setting up that like mortality allows us to experience things because it is limited we do not have like the infinite immortality of angels Mm -hmm. for whom everything is like kind of meaningless Mm -hmm. um like things get this meaning through the fact that like we have this limited time and, and Bruno Gantz like specifically chooses that and says like, I want to find meaning and love and like experience all of these things and ask a random guy on the street, uh, is this blood that I just tasted from my own head? Uh, <laughs> is this red? What color are these pipes? Is this is this yellow? What's the color of the painting over there? Mm-hmm. Um, and that this man is just very, very patiently explaining to Bruno Gantz different colors. <laughs> um, it's a fantastic scene. It's really it. good. <laughs>
0: um do we want to talk about uh 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 the way that uh Bruno Ganz um it, like sort of wants to be with this person and also wants to be them? <laughs> um, <laughs> because...
1: Yeah. Um I feel like the the most like intense scene of this is one where um she's like getting ready in a mirror at the circus. Um And he is behind, like, standing behind the mirror and then, like, crouches down so that he's, like, on the opposite side of the mirror, you know? Um, Like, if it was a window, and then we, like, get where we can see through to her face as she's, like, thinking and then, like, making faces in the mirror at the very end. Um, And we're, like, seeing from Bruno Gantz's perspective, but that would be, like, the mirror perspective as well. (laughs) which is just the one that feels the most mm-hmm. trail. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Um well also at the end like he's describing like the experience of having sex and like you know he's like um, we were the same person in that moment and it's just like
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Um
1: <laughs> all right. I'm
0: very happy for y'all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, I don't necessarily, like... I don't have, like, a take about this. Like, I don't have, like, a... I don't have, like, a read necessarily on these things. Only that, like, I appreciate that this is a movie where... um, One, I appreciate that this is a movie where Peter Falk uh, is, like... Uh, where where um, Sylvie De- character is like, um, I'm looking for somebody in love, and Peter Falk is like a man or a woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and that like, um, I guess mm, a thing, a thing that we have a lot of fun with, but is also endlessly frustrating about like most cinema is that like um gender is a very like concrete thing that um like divides people um that like you know being a man is like a very specific thing and being a woman is a very specific thing and like these are things that divide people um
1: yeah, um if people go and listen to the Ghost Divers episode on End of Evangelion, I rant for a while about how this is one of the things I hate most about Evangelion is that I think it believes that the one it believes that like all humanity is fundamentally divided from each other, but also that the like er example of it is the like impossibility of men and women yes to that like biological sex yes. is like the er division that exists between all humanity yes. and that like men will never truly understand women and women will never truly understand men and that this division is like the the ultimate representation of the way that all human beings will never fully understand each other um, because Kooru, the dream of a boy that you can like be gay for it is. Safer. yes, <laughs> within the realm of evangelion yes. than a woman, um <laughs>
0: and like and, and so like this is like um this is also a thing that drives me nuts about end of evangel end of evangelion, and it is i think an attitude that um Ono comes by honestly <laughs> um, because like <laughs> yeah,
1: this is like i i've read some of the comics that his wife wrote (laughs) (laughs) well i think this is like you know a, a
0: it is you know how most people how most like assist people conceive of these things and um like how um you know most films like conceive of things in this way most films aren't as like gross about it as evangelion is but like most movies like think of gender in the same way that like evangelion does on some level i think um which i bring up mostly to say that like it is really refreshing to watch a movie where like men and women can connect with each other and can be the same person and can be different people um but like can understand each other and can like um desire to be with each other and desire to be each other you know like that is just a good yeah. <laughs> thing i think
1: yeah they There's a part of this movie that is still tragically straight Mm -hmm. because, um, one, there are a lot of scenes of Bruno Gantz and Otto Sanda, like, gazing at each other. There's a part where Otto is literally carrying Bruno in his arms. Mm -hmm. Um, at no part did we, one of us say to the other one, oh, they fucked. Yeah. Which, like... (laughs) Because these men are completely without desire to fuck each other. It is... Mm -hmm. Um it is impossible to read that into their interactions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like Otto Sander has never wanted in this movie has never wanted to fuck anyone in his and life. And
0: believe it, <laughs> believe me, if there was even a hint of that in this movie, if there was even a whiff of it, it would all we be fucking talking about. It would be the only conversation yeah. we had for the whole movie. <laughs> That's not the conversation we've had. You've
1: listened to our other podcasts. You you, <laughs> you know. know. <laughs> um but and so, like, the tragically straight part of it is that the part that then just gets set up is this, like, Bruno and Solveig as, like, the the relationship. Um, and there is definitely, like, some heavy... Like, it almost goes in the opposite direction where it's, like, the, the greatest joys of human connection are men and women <laughs> fucking. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, extremely. In a way where it's, like... I don't know if it's I don't know if it needs to be men and women there mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah it's um, it's kind of hard to like parse it at the very end like is it is I think they're saying like the ultimate connection between two people is between a man and a woman I think that's what it's going for it's a little hard to parse it's also a little hard to parse because yeah. like um their first scene together together like they're both humans and like are um speaking to each other is like um a lengthy 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 monologue um from
1: yeah it's basically one of the like here's the thoughts that people are having monologues that will be like voiceover over mm-hmm as an angel like sits next to someone on a train or mm-hmm. something um but probably the longest version of that and it is actually delivered yes spoken and not as a voice yes over. and
0: and um props to Do domartine De- she like like she delivers this monologue in like one really long take and like it's a pretty impressive piece of acting i feel like um and um like but it is also the the sort of poetry of this movie um is sort of hard to follow i think on purpose because there is so much like free association and also sort of hard to follow because i don't speak german <laughs> and so i'm sort of like trying to like in real time like read the image and read the words and um like take in a bunch of stuff all at the same time um to where I think that this movie is going to benefit a great deal from like a second, third, fourth viewing. Um, yeah. But
1: I, I felt, I don't f- like fully fluently speak German. And yet I understand enough that I could like not always be looking at the subtitles um, in a way that I think really helped me like, because there is just so much talking in this uh-huh. movie um, that is like talking overlaid over images Um, in a way that sometimes being able to like I, I was often listening to the German and glancing down at the subtitles to like just ground myself and make sure I was understanding things or like, oh, I don't know what that word was. Let me like check Mm -hmm. quickly um as i'm like making sense of this in my head which (laughs) there was one moment that like really threw me where um there was a conversation that was happening or there was like a part where like this yeah basically the subtitles had like the subtitles for two quick shots one after each like another in the same shot and the second one was a little boy shouting mother mother but i got like very confused during the first one because there was like overlaid talking and i was like i did not hear mother mother (laughs) um as like a thing people were saying but the other part that always threw me is whenever french happened because suddenly i realized like i would like miss the first line because i just was not (laughs) looking at the subtitles and then realizing i didn't understand anything that was fucking said and i was like oh shit i have to read subtitles
0: um (laughs) and like um sort of the monologue that is like happening there is like about like loneliness and desire and um like in a way that really like spoke to me like um spoke to the the part of me that like is still a teenager somewhere in my heart um like both this like loneliness and this desire to feel loneliness. Um, yeah. Uh, and 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 it's a very like winding thing that goes through a lot of different stuff. And I'm about to sneeze. <coughs> um, gazun <Gesundheit>. tight. <laughs> um.
1: Now, do you remember the joke no, that I told? You
0: told you. me a joke. I do not remember
1: it. sagst to unseis. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, I th- think
0: part of the thing that she's arriving at there is that, like, men and women connecting is, like, the truth and, like, the greatest thing in life, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it is funny, especially because I am having to think about Evangelion Gangs because we're doing the Question Bucket tomorrow, of, like, some of that almost like some of this movie feels like evangelion stuff of like here's this monologue of people talking like this interiority that you get towards the end of evangelion <clears throat> not the movie but like the show like the last two episodes is just a ton of interiority of people talking um and like often talking in these like weird poetic ways um and coming to this conclusion that like life is worth living because even though you experience like pain and hardship It also has the potential for, like, the separations that exist between humans also make connection something that's actually, like, meaningful and possible Mm -hmm. in a way that, like, if the separations don't exist, then, like, what is the purpose or meaning or, like, pleasure of connection and, like, connecting with other human beings? Um, And yet, Evangelion is, like, so bleak as it's telling you this Mm -hmm. message, which sometimes works like the show works a lot better for me than the the movie because fuck the end of it uh the end of end of evangelion i fucking hate it (laughs) but i feel like this movie is almost coming to the same point of like some of that monologue is about like wanting to feel loneliness because also there's value of like when you are feeling lonely and then finally connect with someone else Mm -hmm. Um, that like that actual moment of like connection with another person in the face of the loneliness that you're feeling is like, like feeling loneliness is a thing that people should want because it then like pro- provides the possibility to not feel loneliness, to like feel connection to another human being. And that like that feeling is really good. And in order to have that feeling, you first have to be lonely, <laughs> but it is doing it from this like far more hopeful and optimistic starting point (laughs) and like perspective overall I think Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you agree with that at all
0: I do I I didn't have a lot to add to it but like yes
1: (laughs) Um, the other thing that I I was thinking about while you were talking which is tying back to some of the stuff I was talking about with like the way that this movie also seems to be preoccupied with like to some degree documenting in this like I'm like using this word hesitate, hesitantly, but this almost magical realist mm-hmm. way of like documenting, um, like the Berlin Wall and West Berlin and everything. Um, there, there is this aspect of this that I'm thinking in particular, and I forget if this is that same old man who we often see walking the streets with um Otto Zander, mm-hmm. but I think also is in the stairwell scene. And I think we also get a part where he I believe he's the one who's at the desk with like books yes. and is talking about how people write epics about war, but people don't write epics about mm-hmm. peace. Um and what is it about peace that like people don't care about in the same way that they they care about war. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, this is a movie that is trying to be an epic about peace that is like is trying to like, I don't know exactly how committed to this read I am. But like this movie is really concerned with um, looking into the lives and interiority of just like everyday people. They are not the great men who like, quote unquote, make history. Right. like, the most notable famous person that we get is Peter Falk. And then, again, like, playing with reality turns out to be an ex-angel. <laughs> um, and, like, most of the people that we encounter... Like, even Peter Falk, I think, is being brought in so that you then have the moment where he is sketching, like, the woman who is an extra. Yes. And is thinking about, like, what does it mean for these to be extra humans? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, like... She's an extra of like this is a movie that is presumably about World War Two, um, because there's like an earlier scene where he's talking with like this kid who's like dressed up as a Hitler youth, um, and then is, you know, like this woman who's an extra is wearing the yellow star um that says like Yuda on it, like Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is like wondering, like, is she actually Jewish? like playing this Jewish woman in this, like how would it feel to like be wearing this even for a movie and, and things, Mm -hmm. but it was like in this way that, and then it was like cutting to her being like, I wish I could see what he's sketching. Um, I hope it looks good. I wonder if he'll give it to me. Um, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. you know, it is like having these like various thoughts about like, Oh, like here's like Peter Falk drawing my sketch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in a way that's just like very good. And I, I think is like, he's almost being brought in to like further emphasize the way that most of this film is just looking at like, again, like what is this like guy who's just kind of sad sitting in the corner of the train car, um, you know, riding it around Berlin. Mm-hmm. Like what, it, what is he thinking about? Um, and it is a, like a movie that wants to talk about those things. Well, uh, like the circus also figures here as a thing that's like very low. art, uh-huh. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh um just general thoughts were like in my head.
0: The the thing about the epic about peace too, I think is like an interesting idea because like um it is a movie where everyone is unhappy. Um Yeah. And I think like the way that this um this older man sees it as, like, oh, you know, um, things are bad, but war is even worse, you know? But, yeah. um, also, on the flip side of that, like, I think, I think you could watch this movie and, and take away from it, like, um... Like, I think it's hard. I think you watch this movie and you're like, yes, this is peace, but peace means, um, two imperial powers, like, dividing up these people and just making everyone suffer. And, like, yeah, peace is a war and peace is a sort of, like, false dichotomy. And peace is often, like, nobody in this movie is having a good time. Nobody in this movie is, um, like, like, peace is peace is better because it is a slower and quiet suffering that everybody is going through, you know? Um, yeah. And I just think, I just think that's, like, an interesting idea to play around with, of, like, um, that, like, yes, this is better, like, I think this is unquestionably better than, like, waking up and not knowing if your school is still there but like this is not good like the the price of peace is like two imperial powers like quietly warring over this this place you know <laughs> um
1: yeah
0: um um what else i was I, there was something else you said that i had latched on um and i cannot remember it right now um, i don't remember i did want to just like we haven't oh the circus the circus um i really like that this movie like um there is like a a, a a love and a respect for like quote unquote low art in this movie that I really appreciate from yeah. this movie that like I had not seen for years because of it. It has a rep- reputation as a very dry two and a half hour movie where nothing happens, um, and like I guess I usually I don't associate this sort of movie with being like sympathetic and caring and interested in um quote-unquote low art but like um the the way that we were introduced to um zolveg dormartine's character is that she treats um like her job at the circus with every bit of like seriousness about like art and entertainment and like um performance that like i imagine vendors thinks about his own job you know like um and she had dreams of being in the circus because she had dreams of like performing and entertaining and making art um and like you get to see the like real world impact of like making these children's day better and i think the movie like cares about that and is interested in it and it's why you get a lengthy sequence of just her doing her trapeze act um you get a couple of like her doing her trapeze act and it doesn't cut away from it it doesn't um like fade you just get to see that and i think it's like important to me (laughs) um like also like uh nick nick cave who is like one of the most revered like songwriters of the 20th century um getting like the same exact level of respect as like crime and the city solution which is a berlin band i've never heard of um before this really good they do have a really good performance in this uh in this movie but like um you know giving these two like Giving these two acts, one, you know, Nick Cave, like being a very respected and, like, I think probably, like, in the minds of some people, like, high art thing, being portrayed in the exact same way as, like, this, like, German punk band. Uh, I think it's important. I think it's <laughs> yeah. good.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have any more thoughts other than we have to rate the stairwells.
0: Um, I have one last quick thought, which is just that, like, um, we haven't talked about them much because, like, they spend a great deal of the movie, like, not talking very much. But I do think, like, it is important to note Otto Sonder and Bruno Gavs are fucking incredible in this movie. Just, like, any scene of them, like, um, observing other people they're doing incredible work even though they never get lines for the first hour and a half you know <laughs> yeah um, um bruno gons is like one of my favorite actors hands down um that's yeah. all
1: there's one moment in particular that like really stood out to me where um there's this guy who's like presumably been in an accident or something and is like kind of sitting on the side of the road um, like someone in a daze and like a little bit bloody and like Bruno Gantz like goes and and kind of sits with him mm-hmm. for a little bit while he's thinking and then like a friend like comes up and at that moment Bruno's like okay like I can leave almost mm-hmm. like oh like someone else is like here for you in this way that like I was maybe trying to be here for you um, and as he's like leaving like gently ruffles his hair <laughs> in this way that is like, that is the way that I would ruffle my (laughs) child. Um, and just like the, like the like soft, like gentle, like, let me, I don't know. It just like that in particular really hit me. Um, what, what can I say? I like hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, do we want to rate stairwells? Also, we have an email.
0: We have an email. Um, I feel like we have two candidates for stairwells. Um, yeah one is a very brief scene of um um when we were first introduced to um when we were first introduced to this like older poet character he is on a stairwell he's passing nearby to um either bruno Gons or Otto uh saunders character um and like You see the stairs, like, featured throughout all the library sequences, but, like, it's a pretty short little moment. Um, the thing that... The stairwell scene that I might maybe point to more, even though it is a less traditional stairwell scene, maybe. Um, Otto Sonder sees this uh, young man commit suicide. Um... And he is upset and he is sitting on one of the angel statues near the wall and he jumps from the statue to sort of like try and experience um, what that was like. And then you see this like sequence where the camera is like running all through the city and just like going up and down and all like flickering lights and, and quick cuts and there are a couple moments in that where, like, the camera is going up and down stairs. And I, 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 I might count, I might be more interested in that moment, but I don't know.
1: The one other one that I caught was, it's fairly short, but um, I think it's a very interesting sequence. Like, we, we have talked about it uh, to some degree already. Um, I'm actually like pulling it up so I can like fully go through. So it's the one where we start, there's just like, it's this, the circus. We then cut to the elephant that we haven't talked about that just shows up. There's just like shots of an elephant in Berlin <laughs> that occur <laughs> p- periodically throughout this movie. We then get the shots of the like light reflecting on water Um, and they're having that conversation about like, haven't we been here before? Like history, um, we see the tree and the water and they're like talking about like everything that has happened in this space. Um, and then there's like more trees and everything. And then like, it gets paved over. That's where they have the conversation about like the tanks have like sunken these roads in. Um, and so there's a part where after we see like the trees and the water and everything, There's then the river, and then they're coming up from where the river is, and, like, uh, Otto Sander is on the left, and Bruno Gantz is on the right, and they're, like, walking up two sides of, like, a stair that, like, goes... It's where that, like, graffiti was, too, that I laughed about because it says Brotus Opflemus, which just means bread, applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh. that could also be one because they're, like, having this whole conversation about memory. And then I think it's shortly after that where, like, Bruno really starts being like, I think I want to, like, have some sort of humanity. Um, it's also shortly before the, like, uh, falling scene, I think, as well.
0: You... So, um, pointed out the bread applesauce graffiti and then just two scenes later i think you get bruno gants i think he's making the decision here you get a long either handheld or steady cam sequence of like bruno Gantz like walking through Ber- uh, berlin and um there is a there is a first line of a poem um that gets repeated a lot it is like the first line of the movie when the child was a child um, and then like yeah. making these sorts of ups
1: obs- <laughs> <laughs> and, and
0: then like making these observations about what childhood was like. Um, and I noticed, um, that one of the lines that he does it the next time he does that poem after that graffiti was, that he says, when the child was a child, um, it ate, um, bread and apples and that was enough um and i almost i started to wonder i was like did somebody in the crew of this movie really like that line and go spray paint it on the berlin wall
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know um but yeah, so I don't know which which stairwell. We I think I want to talk about the one because I think I think that's. I think
0: one. the I want to talk about the one that you brought because I think that's got like the good. It's like a. I feel like it is the most like an actual stairwell scene, and it's like meaningful, and I'm not sort of stretching the definition, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, now I'm also remembering. I think the first time we see, um, Bruno Gantz eat food after he becomes a human is eating an apple walking mm-hmm. down the street.
0: It definitely is.
1: So yeah, this this feels like it might be the stairwell. Yeah. Scene.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: um
0: um Okay, so like aesthetically good staircase? Not an amazing staircase, not like you know. Yeah. Um
1: the the staircase is not what is Aesthetically interesting about that shot, it is the like river and the bridge yes. that they're then going to walk over and and the wall. Um Yeah, and the wall in the distance mm-hmm. and everything. Um I mean But they do walk upstairs. I so.
0: maybe want to give this a C. I maybe want to be like, okay. Like, you're headed in the right direction, but how can we make stairs more central to this moment?
1: yeah yeah um i feel you
0: i've i've given it a c i've given it a c in the spreadsheet yeah um
1: um now i'm looking at that b minus where i carry you with me and i feel like we we were generous there but
0: we can we can change it right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> i feel like that should also be a c- let's give
0: case. that a c it's done
1: um
0: I was like, Oh man, we didn't give uh, Rebels of the Neon God a very good grade and I was like, I don't I literally don't even remember the scene that we would have had a stairwell in it.
1: Um I think it was the I think we talked about the uh hotel. mm okay kind of the hotel. Yep.
0: B plus then. B
1: plus. Um, yeah. We haven't had truly great stairs in any of these movies yet. Um,
0: Which is weird because we've got like we've got like three a's and an s we got four a's and an s in um in the like miscellaneous like for movies we have not watched for the podcast <laughs> we have seen so many good stairwells, but like nothing. Is- <laughs> <laughs> um and we've been watching good fucking movies like wings of desire is fucking yeah. incredible mulholland drive rebels of the neon god like we've been watching good fucking movies
1: <laughs> um yeah we'll, we'll get-, get there we'll watch we'll watch pale flower yeah we will <laughs> it's happening incredible fucking <laughs> incredible Um, Do I want to do Joao's question here?
0: Yes, let's do that. Um, I'm pulling it up. Um, Joao says, I was going to watch City of Angels instead of Wings of Desire, just to joke about it, and it took me two days to notice that it's actually a remake of of this movie because I'm an idiot. (laughs) Was there any occasion of you feeling extremely seen by discovering that a movie is a remake or adaptation of another thing? Um... Also, what is your fam- favorite Nicolas, uh Cage movie slash hair? Um, <laughs> let's answer the first thing first. thing that I didn't realize was an adaptation. Um, I didn't know that There Will Be Blood was an adaptation of an Upton Sinclair book for a little while. Um, um, but that's not... I didn't feel any sort of way once I realized it. Um realizing that Drive is the ada- is an adaptation of a really bad novel that I tried to read. Cause like, I I realized it was an adaptation <laughs> I found out it was an adaptation and then I tried to read that book. That book is not good at all.
1: Yeah. Um what else? What else? I'm trying to think if there's like a really, really good one for this. Um, like, I feel like there are some that I can think of that were like slightly surprising to be adaptations for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like there are just some. Um, like, even. Is it Clueless that's, like, a Shakespeare adaptation? Yeah, or,
0: Clueless. I th-
1: I feel like Shakespeare in particular, you get some, like... Oh, wow, that was a Shakespeare adaptation?
0: Uh, Ten Things I Hate About You, which is just, like, a movie I saw a couple times when I was really little, and, like, you know, find out later that it's an adaptation of Shakespeare, and then also find out that, like, oh, I don't like that Shakespeare play. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like uh, some Shakespeare, uh... The Taming of the Shrew is not one of them.
1: Um, another one that I always forget is that Shawshank Redemption is a uh, Stephen King.
0: That one really struck me because I was like, doesn't he just write? Because like, I, even at a very young age, I was like, I thought that um, Stephen King was the horror guy. And Shawshank Redemption is not horror in any way at all. Yeah. Also, Clueless is an adaptation yeah. of um is an adaptation of a Jane Austen novel, which actually that that might make it th- that might make this the one for me actually. Like realizing it's Jane Austen and like the oh, way yeah. that like um Clueless like uses voiceover to sort of like reflect the way that like Jane Austen like Jane Austen doesn't write spaces. She just writes like what characters are thinking. Um, that might be that might be a really good pull for this, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I realize the one that's the funniest for me because it is related to this movie, which is that. Um, so I first watched Wings of Desire um, approximately one month. After watching, so this is like in high school, after watching the second gig episode, (laughs) that is based on Wings of Desire and going, oh, (laughs) that's what that whole episode was. Um, Now it makes sense why Motoko and Bato were just randomly in Berlin for a conference that Required them to stand uh, up on angel statues and look down trying to find a um, terrorist who was coming back. And then uh, Bato ended up like wanting to have this connection to this blind girl who actually turned out to be the daughter of the terrorist. And then um, has this encounter where he could choose to pretend to be her father to like give her comfort, but then chooses not to um, because he like can't intercede with, you know, mm-hmm. the the lives of these people because of, of his role in section nine. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I was just like, I watched this and I was like, Oh, this is that, but more interesting. <laughs> Cause it's not just, more of Bato having this conflict uh, confliction between like confliction. Is that right? Conflict. I don't know. It's getting late. Conflict between, um, you know, I want to like be a good human being. And yet like my role for this secret police, uh, forces me into positions where I cannot be a good human being. Um, Which is still what I love about (laughs) (laughs) Bajo,
0: I have one last one for this, um, which is just that... um, So I saw The Departed, and then I found out that it was a remake of another movie, and I went and watched that movie, uh, Infernal Affairs. Um, And one, Infernal Affairs is way better. Um, And so it, it, it kind of like infernal affairs sort of started the wheels turning in my mind to like oh movies from like other countries besides just like like i knew movies from america were good i knew movies from japan were good i didn't and i knew that like certain like european countries had these sorts of like canonized like oh these like you know france makes good movies um because i saw infernal affairs at like a pretty young age i was like oh international cinema is a lot wider than just like the shit i've heard about you know
1: (laughs) Um, yeah i
0: i I think like seeing infernal affairs leads directly into like me watching old boy which like i was like oh yeah old boy that movie fucking rules
1: (laughs) um Oh, another one that I thought of is um, the so I saw just like back when I was in high school, there was a friend of the family um, who we would just go to movies all the time Um, like he was just a big cinema buff. And so basically at least once a week would just like me and like my brothers might just go see a movie with him and then sometimes sneak into a second movie after the first movie ended Mm -hmm. with him. (laughs) Um, And one of the movies that we saw was Pulse, the 2006 American horror film that is just, it's, it is Wes Craven, but it's just a bad Mm -hmm. movie. Um, I think it's really stupid. Um, And then I found out later that it was a remake of a Japanese horror film called Cairo that like understands what is scary about, the whole premise in a way that the U S remake does not. <laughs> um, yeah. <sighs> so that, that was one that felt like very seen by, because when I found the other one, I was like, Oh yeah, I guess I like, do just like Japanese horror. Um, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The-
0: Favorite Nicholas Cage movie slash hair movie. Um, it's no question uh Werner Herzog's uh Bad Lieutenant movie. Like that's easy
1: <laughs> uh for me. I went to I went to search Nicolas Cage to look at his movies just to like really familiarize myself um and in the process I, a thing I just now have to know about me is that my phone, when I start typing in Nicholas, will auto-complete it to Nicholas Winding <laughs> <and so. laughs> Um Let me just look at a list of movies doing this live. Um, there are just so many Nicholas Cage movies. I've not seen most of
0: them. He's any. just in a lot of movies.
1: Um, he really
0: um, is. Hair, probably Raising Arizona. It's like kind of a cop-out answer because... You know. It's fucking raising Arizona, but like also I don't know. It's a good fucking movie. Nicholas Cage has stupid hair in it. (laughs)
1: Um I'm just looking through posters and his hair in Bangkok Dangerous, which I don't I've never seen it, but just on the poster (laughs) look um I feel like face off might be the one for me.
0: Never seen face off. Um, never seen any, um, never seen any of, of that director's movies. John Woo.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's probably my favorite Nicholas Cage. Um, it's just got some like truly incredible John Travolta and Nicolas Cage acting against each other moments. Um, and just the premise of it is just like wild. Like it's like, a movie that is dumb in a good way for mm-hmm. me, uh, at least the last time I watched it, so um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm. we should watch some John Woo
0: I'm still thinking about um, when we went to see I Carry You With Me, and just like seeing the pig trailer and like not knowing what that movie was and so just like
1: <laughs>
0: seeing that trailer like without ever having heard of that movie before was really fucking good
1: <laughs> yeah um, honestly, his hair was pretty good in that. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a good poll for Nicholas Cage. In... Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: You want to pick our next movie?
1: Yes. So uh, I'm doing this live. Um, I know that I'm doing this whole Yakuza movie thing, but I don't know if actually, because. As it is, we will kind of co- collide with, like, Halloween plans mm-hmm. anyway. So part of me is wondering if, like, this is going to be an ongoing thing. I'll probably try and do, like, one a month on average. But maybe I'm going to pick some other stuff that aren't just these Yakuza sure. movies. Sure. So I have, like, three things in mind right now we-, we can maybe talk through. One is we do a Yakuza movie and we do, do Tokyo Drifter because it's a fucking incredible okay. movie. Um. The other two are ones where I'm specifically... They're just movies I want to watch now that I've watched Wings of Desire. Mm-hmm. One is Angels of the Universe, which is an Icelandic film. Um, it is based on a magical realist novel. Um, and is also like about mental illness in a way that... like, Some content warnings for watching it. Um, the other one is Berlin Alexanderplatz, plots, the 2020 version, mm-hmm. which is a long movie.
0: <laughs> well, uh, let me remind myself. I Cause I know it, it I know it's, it's long. long. Let me just remind myself.
1: Um, it's not the, I'm not talking about, let's do the one that's like, uh, was a 14 part teledrama or something as well. Um, but yeah, Berlin Alexanderplatz, plots 2020. Uh, Oh, that's like three hours. I thought it was four. Okay. 3 hours isn't that bad.
0: I definitely want to do Inland Empire at some point, so like we'll we'll find a way to tackle a 3 hour movie even if we have to like split it up somehow. You know.
1: Yeah. Um I have not seen this adaptation of Brilliant Alexander plots. Um it seems interesting. It seems like it's set in like a more modern Berlin um in a way and like some of the shots that just looking at like stills from it it looks like it's a pretty visually interesting film. Um So I don't I don't know if you have any strong feelings. Um
0: I would maybe lean toward one of the other movies and not Tokyo Drifter, like Angels of the Universe or Berlin Alexander Plots, but I don't between those two, I would defer to you.
1: Okay. Um Yeah, uh Like, I'm just debating because one of them is, like, let's dive deeper into, like, (laughs) Nia's weird connections with Mm Brilly and, like, family feelings around this. Uh, The other one is just, like, let's watch another movie about... It doesn't, like, feature angels in the same way, but that still has, like, angels as a core theme, as well as, even though it's set in Iceland, part of the key thing of it is also... Uh, the Berlin Wall falling. Mm. So, um, me, may- I think I'm going to do that because I think it ties into a lot of stuff that's interesting to like talk about right after Wings of Desire. Um, whereas, like, we can get around, maybe at some point I will just watch on my own the 2020 Berlin Alexander plots and see if it's worth it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's do Angels of the Universe. uh Heimsen is the, the Icelandic title. Uh, this is directed by Fridt Friedrich Thor um, who is, like, one of the big directors from Iceland. One of the, like, ones that would be held up as, like, an auteur. Um, it's one of his later films. Um, so he had a number before it. But, uh, I, like, I wrote my thesis about this movie. So... <laughs> Just put that out there. <laughs> um, until next time, then
0: where can people find you online?
1: So people can find me at foxmomnia on Twitter. Um, you can listen to my other podcast, Ghost Divers, on the Export Audio Network, which uh, exportaud.io/slash Ghost Divers will get you there. Um, also I. I feel like we keep forgetting to say this. If people want to write into the podcast, mm-hmm. they can write into um, export audio podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, put
0: stairwells like, in the subject line um, just so I can find it pretty easily. But um, yeah, export audio podcast at com. Yeah,
1: and I also have a Twitter account that's at Garfield Aloud where I read Garfield Aloud into a camera.
0: You can find me most days, most days. Uh you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um you can find all of my podcasts uh and support them at exportaud.io. Subscribing uh for a dollar a month gets you just about everything um a week early. Some things not early, like um
1: Ghost Divers. Ghost
0: divers no. Uh, the the flagship show Export Audio does not go up a week early because um, that show just goes up when it's done. Um, it records irregularly. It always will. Um, it is a wild beast and we cannot tame it. Um, um, you should listen to um, Hot Singles. Um, Nia's been on it before. I imagine a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are probably also fans of hot singles but if you're not familiar we um you know regs and i each pick an album sometimes we're joined by a guest and we talk about you know two to to three albums per episode and have a good time um and we took some time off because just like it was hard to get regs and i like we just didn't have a good time where we could like both be like recording you know um but we found time today and we did an episode and it was really good and we're gonna have Nia on the next episode so uh I remembered that midway through saying the sentence so it was fortunate that I chose at random to plug this one
1: (laughs) yes if you want to listen to the other episode that I've been on it was the um Flowers by Sin Fang, Apocalypse Girl by Jenny Fall, and... um, Transformer by Lou Reed. Yeah. I was trying to remember the name of the album.
0: Surprising that Lou Reed is not in this movie. I'm
1: tired and I have to pee. (laughs) Yeah, kind of.
0: Um, One last little thing. Um, So, like we said, you can email the podcast. Um, You can also, if you want to talk about this in, like, real time, you know, you don't have, like, a question to ask. You just, like, want to say something or, you know just bs uh export chat in the abnormal mapping discord you can go to abnormalmapping.com and find a link there um and there's a channel to just talk about any export podcast um uh you can talk in any channel on that discord but i am promise you i'll see it if you post in an export chat if you post in tv and film good chance i'm not gonna see it so that's all
1: um I might see it unless people have been talking a lot about the MCU, in which case I am not going to yeah. look at it. Um, I kind of just skip a lot of that because I, I don't care that much. I'm sorry. Um, one other thing that I thought of, um, I think most of the people who listen to this podcast are like, subscribed to the Patreon currently, but that might change over time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, if you are listening to this and you are listening to it in the public feed, and you're like, I don't like the fact that I'm listening to this episode, and they're like, this is what we're doing next, but I can't actually write in because by the time I write in, like, it's two weeks yeah. have passed and not one week. Um, if you go to exportodd.io slash stairwells quality, is it stairwells quality or stairwell quality?
0: Um, let me. Check, odd.io slash quality.
1: Okay, singular. Uh, so if you do that, you can, one, go look at what we've rated everything in the spreadsheet, but you can also look at, we put in, like, what the next episode mm-hmm. is going to be. Um, so if you just went in there, you could, like, see what's coming up.
0: You can also, so. if you want to email next week about Wings of Desire i would be happy to talk about wings of desire two weeks from now don't you even worry yeah
1: definitely. (laughs) if you wanted to email next week about the hunger the first movie that we watched we would still i would be delighted you may not remember it as well but we'll Mm -hmm. talk about it um so yeah you can always email about any movie we've done but i also just wanted to put that in there in case people are like oh like it's Mm -hmm. yeah you can find out what we're doing. Also, we, like, post about it on Twitter. Yeah. Kind of. Not everybody has Twitter, but yeah. I feel like most people listening to this yeah. probably do.
0: Um. Anyway, let's get the fuck out anyway, of here. Anyway,
1: I have to pee. Okakoro is real. Okakora is real. <laughs> <laughs> Okakora is real. <laughs>